Welcome to the Gordon Asset Management Podcast, a show for savers, investors, and entrepreneurs, helping you to stay informed, invest wisely, and achieve the unimaginable. Now, on to the show. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Todd Zeppel and Joe Gordon with another edition of the Gordon Asset Management podcast. Uh, today is October 13th, uh, right around noon. Uh, so as we go through all the information today, keep that in mind. Uh, of course, make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, you can also view this live on the uh, YouTube machine. So go to YouTube and just search Gordon Asset Management. You can find our content there. Uh, so first off, let's cover the coronavirus update. U.S. COVID cases climbed uh, quite a bit uh, week over week by about 630,000 to about 7.77 million cases currently. Hospitalizations are also up big, uh, so almost 5,000 week over week. If you remember the last week's presentation, uh, hospitalizations were only up about 500 people, so just fractionally. Uh, so that was a big jump week over week. Deaths are also up about 49, uh, 4,800 week over week to about uh, 207,000 uh, combined. Now, before uh, we hopped on the podcast today, uh, Joe, you were actually uh, mentioning some pretty interesting uh, comments about COVID and, and some of the work that's been done out there. Yeah. So actually, uh, I saw a 30, uh, 32 minute uh, video uh, interview this morning. And I had seen the name of this before, but hadn't had the time. Uh, it's circulating now all over the Internet called the Barrington uh, Declaration. So uh, what was interesting is uh, these three healthcare professionals, two epidemiologists, one from Harvard, one from University of Oxford, and then also a physician and health public health care specialist uh, with an emphasis on infectious disease from Stanford. Uh, the three were being interviewed, uh, and it was, it was quite enlightening that they – we're looking at the non-political solution to addressing COVID. They didn't want anything to do with politics, and they think the whole thing's been politicized all over the media in the U.S., if not the world. So uh, interestingly, uh, I went on the CDC website today and even saw the World Health Organization now are saying, don't shut down, don't shut down. So uh, again, not getting political, but they're saying that's the wrong strategy. And the conclusion, in, uh, and there's more than one conclusion, but one of the takeaways I got from the report was these three healthcare professionals said that, in essence, herd immunity is not a strategy. Herd immunity is the ultimate byproduct of what your strategy is. And they, they cited Sweden as a great example of uh, doing it the right way, with the exception is they did not protect the elderly in Stockholm initially. That's why they had the massive death spike. Uh, but by and large, they've done it right with everyone else in their society, and they addressed the protecting the elderly part. And you could see that there's hardly any deaths they've had at all the last three months. In fact, uh, Z over here went and Googled some stuff in Sweden, and it looked like pre-COVID, people are out in the restaurants, no one's wearing masks, everything seems pretty normal, and uh, and so forth. But uh, one key takeaway also from the Barrington Declaration is that it's been signed, I believe, by 5,500 physicians and over 11,000 healthcare professionals. That ought to speak volumes about people that know and ought to know on, at ground zero. That's right. And, and so we also have uh, this week uh, Trump apparently no longer infectious. 
uh, with his with his uh, COVID that he had. Yeah, last night he said he was so healthy he was going to kiss everybody in the crowd. That, <laughs> that's a scary thought. <laughs> that is a very scary thought. Uh, all right, so we'll move right on to the uh, market recap. So internationally, uh, well, actually across the board, things were pretty good. Uh, you know, we need some some. We're in the money, little bumper uh, music as as we talk about. Yeah, we this. really do. We're in the money. We're in the money. Uh, but EFI, uh was up 1.73%, still down uh, just under 6% year-to-date. Emerging markets was a big winner, up 4% uh, percent plus, and, and moved into the positive, up 2% year-to-date. And then the global aggregate bond index was up uh, fractionally, uh, 42 basis points, currently up about 6% year-to-date. Uh, what's interesting to note about uh, the emerging markets index, and so for the folks that are uh, viewing this on YouTube or live via the webinar, uh, you can you can see the slide that uh, we have up in front of us. But there's been a massive move in the makeup of the index, uh, more towards consumer discretionary and technology. Uh, so the chart that we have in front of us shows that currently the emerging markets index is, is roughly made up 50%, uh, 51 to be exact, of consumer discretionary and tech, while uh, energy and materials have, have scaled back uh, since the uh, roughly 2010. Uh, I think the peak was in uh, 2008 or 2009. Um, and so that's just interesting to keep in mind. We, we like uh, emerging markets, e-commerce as a trend. It's a big growth area, uh, but it is making up more and more of the index overall. Yeah, one of our favorite uh, themes has been playing an ETF uh, for the last four to five years that is a play on 85% of the world's population that lives in emerging markets. And uh, most of these folks don't have checking accounts. Most live in countries without sound banking systems where you can actually lose your money literally. There is no FDIC. And uh, and essentially, COVID has accelerated the use of e-commerce and all forms of uh, mobile payments and everything. Uh, and obviously, in the stay-at-home economy, you got consumer discretionary spending is up big as well. So we do have some other active managers that uh, actually uh, and that they're primarily emerging or global, and they have. Uh, allocated significantly to e-commerce. Some are up over 50% year to date. So the trend is real. All that's happened with COVID is that it's pulled forward the transition to a digital economy and e-commerce especially. Uh, I believe I heard a, 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 a data point yesterday that even Amazon's e-commerce sales are up over twice as much as what's projected pre-COVID. That's right. And so the trend is your friend until it's not anyways. So here's an interesting uh, slide we're looking at is what recap in the U.S. markets last week. I mean, if you had asked me March the 24th that we would be sitting here on October the 13th and the S&P 500 would be up 9.01% year to date when its peak to trough loss was down 33, I would have said you're crazy. Uh, it just doesn't happen, but it did. And that's what happened last week is the S&P marched up 3.68%. For those watching the markets yesterday, it looked like giddy times with the megatechs. Apple was up over 6% yesterday, and the other megatechs pretty much towed in line. NASDAQ was a five, over 5% 5 last week and week over week uh, last week, and now it's up over 38% year-to-date, which is amazing. But the real story 
is finally there may be a secular bull underway. And I think a lot of it's the GDP reports that are coming out for Q2 and now Q3 projections as small stocks, uh, Russell 2000, up over 4% last week on top of almost 4% the prior week. And now their year-to-date uh, return is minus 1.16. And so that is telling us there's an emergence of a trend that the small caps are finally uh, starting to move. And that is a sign that potentially we have a secular bull market underway. And again, bonds are pretty much at zero rate. Interest rates are up 6.55% year to date, a little bit uptick last week. But that's all a function, really, of the fact that it's price appreciation and the return uh, year to date. So we look at equal weighted versus cap weighted. uh, But the big thing on the chart I'm looking at is that the Russell 2000% change uh, month to date now we're talking in October is up over 9% far in advance of all the other indexes. The NASDAQ uh, 100 equal weighted is up just under 6%. The S&P 500 equal weighted is up over 5%. The S&P, uh, the S&P regular is over 5%. The equal weighted is up 5.74. Uh, and that was a trend that began all of September. And then you've got the NASDAQ 100. Uh, market level, market uh, cap weighted index, and it's up 5.87. So essentially, all the standard indexes, S&P and NASDAQ equal weighted or market cap weighted are up between 5 and 6% month to date. Uh, but Russell's way ahead by 50% at 9.38%. Yeah. And, and so this is that breadth that we, we've been looking for and, and have been hoping for, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, when you look at the Russell 2000 index, a major cohort of the, that index is financials, uh, banks. Uh, what we started to see today with JP Morgan and, and them releasing uh, quarter end earnings is that the loan loss uh, reserves uh, hadn't been tapped as much as everybody was anticipating. So uh, people think uh, that we may start to see this turnaround in financials, which uh, have been lagging year to date. And with zero bound interest rates, many, many uh, companies that have access to the public markets have refinanced a lot of debt at significantly lower rates. So we'll, we'll see. The liquidity's been there. It's been provided by the Fed. And it's liquidity that's basically propped up the markets, either fixed income or stocks, all year long. And it is assumed by most everyone, all the talking heads on CNBC and Fox Business, that the stimulus, second stimulus, will happen, uh, if not before the election, soon thereafter, uh, and uh, and will prop it up again. So we'll see. Now again, you know we need, we need that music. We're in the money for the for the fan plus. I didn't know you could sing. Absolutely. Uh, so really, uh, we've already kind of covered this, but we're looking at now Fei Ang stocks, uh, the megatechs versus the rest of the market. So week over week, as we already said, S&P up 3.6A. But then you look at the others, and this doesn't include the big move yesterday. Uh, Apple up 6.78% last week. Microsoft over 5%. Amazon 762 Facebook 4%. And then Google 5.51. Google was a huge mover yesterday as well. Alibaba, which is spinning off Ant Financial, its payments company, up 6.7% last week. Baidu, the internet engine in China, 2.42. NVIDIA, which is acquiring ARM Holdings for about $40 billion, uh, uh, up 4.28%. And it's already hit its projected stock price from six, 30 days ago. It, it was topping $560 a share yesterday. Tesla, up 3.9%. And then Twitter, up just under 2%. 
uh, the employment um, news. So good news is continuing claims for unemployment fell by 970,000. So just under a million uh, week over week. So we, we currently have about uh, just just under 11 million people continuing claims for unemployment. Uh, the negative news, initial claims did climb a little bit, climbed by 3,000 week over week. Uh, to we're averaging around 940,000 uh, initial claims. Uh, then you look at the unemployment rate, we're sitting at about 7.9%. So given that we were nearing 15% back in May, we've, we've clawed back quite a bit, quite a bit. Um, you know, and you look at the 7.9% unemployment rate, there's a lot of people out there that say, you know, the actual employable population is less than 95%, meaning that we, we on a standard, normal, good times, we should have uh, somewhere slightly more than 5% unemployed. So uh, we're, we're clawing back. And so that's all very positive. Um, for the Again, for the YouTube and, and webinar viewers, uh, we have this very interesting looking chart that shows job seeking and recruitment. Uh, negative news is uh, that we we have appeared to stalled out a little bit. A uh, number of new job applications, recruitment, job interviews have uh, bounced back quite a bit off the April-May lows, uh, but we we're not seeing any major gains since uh, late late June. So that's not the best of news, uh, but uh, it is something we're just going to keep an eye on for now. And some of this has to do with politics. There's an election coming up in less than a month, and a lot of people are not going to make plans. If you can't see the future very clearly, you don't go out and hire a lot of people uh, at all. And that's what happened in 2009 and 2010 uh, when public companies were accused of using all their earnings for share buybacks. They weren't investing in CapEx, and we were living in QE1, QE2, QE Infinity, and and, uh, and and QE forever. So again, you can't blame CEOs. Share buybacks have really cut back. So obviously they're sitting on their thumbs wondering, okay, well, you know, where's the second stimulus? Oh my God, there's an election coming up in less than 30. A lot of volatility there potentially. And so it's no surprise to us that uh, job applications, recruitment and interviews has flatlined since June. Yeah, and another big reason for that is small businesses. Uh, so the number of small businesses open uh, charted uh, are, are down about 24% uh, from January 1st of this year. So small businesses have been hit hard. And again, uh, to Joe's point, it's, you know, a lot of these folks are small business owners. They're, there's uncertainty about what potentially business owners tax situation may look going forward. So, Hopefully, uh, we'll see some pent-up demand, and after the election, some of these different metrics will start ticking up. Uh, again, so for the folks that are able to view this, uh, we have a chart that shows about 34% of small business owners couldn't pay October rent, and that's broken down by industry. So the folks that are hit the worst, beauty salons, so roughly 46% of those um, Polled said that they wouldn't be able to meet October rent. Restaurants, 40%. Gyms and fitness, 40%. Entertainment related, 38%. So again, all these industries that have been particularly hit hard by COVID, uh, and, and many of them 
small businesses, mainly small businesses, are just extremely hurt right now and in a, in a really bad place. And you have to consider also some public companies, not not small businesses, but uh, are totally revamping their entire business plan. Uh, give you an example, Disney. Uh, they're accelerating their transition uh, in their whole business plan uh, away from parks since they're all closed permanently right now, which is a lot of the unemployed, uh, to streaming. And, uh, and again, that indirectly uh, can be a major hit on movie theaters because there's no content uh, that's mu- been produced much, if, if at all, for movie theaters. And a lot of the publicly traded movie theater chains are running out of cash. I heard one today is going to be out of cash on December 31st. Uh, so you're, there are going to be casualties here uh, uh, that are not small businesses. And then a lot of companies like Disney are pivoting on a dime and going straight to streaming uh, for basically the nucleus of their future business plan. And now everybody's most hated topic, the election. Uh, so there's a, been an interesting study done that shows the number of voters who say it it really matters who wins the presidency. And so this metric has been uh, charted back to 2000 and and we're at all time highs. So around 83% of all the folks polled said that the presidential election really matters. Uh, And then the number of people that says, well, regardless of which party or who gets elected, things will be pretty much the same is is at a low uh, around 16%. So Folks are very passionate about it. Um, you know, this is one of those topics and, that's very hard to talk about with family and, and friends. It usually causes fights. Um, yeah, didn't, you know, going back to 2000, that's the last time we had somewhat of a contested election in Florida, in particular, where the presidency was decided, I think, by 507 votes uh, in favor of George uh, W. Bush over uh, Gore. And uh, back then, uh, 50% of the voters said it mattered who's president versus the 83% today. And 42 or so percent uh, said it uh, didn't really matter. It would be pretty much the same back then and only 16. So that's really the delta and the way people are viewing this uh, is really what's noticeable. Uh, that's a huge change from 2000 to go where half said it really matters now. 83% said it really matters. And then you've got the, the same uh uh, inverse data point uh, on those that will say things will stay the same, only 16%. Now, does it matter who actually wins? Uh, so there's uh, a capital group, American Funds, put out a uh, very interesting white paper on this. And they looked at during 20 of the last 23 presidential elections since 1936. Uh, what they found is that if the S&P 500 index was up in the three months prior to the election, uh, the incumbent party usually wins. Uh, And then if markets are down in in that same three-month period, the opposing party typically wins. So when we look at the chart of the S&P over the last three months, uh, we're up. We're up uh, 8% in the last three months. So, you know, the polls are saying that uh, it's going to be a Biden win, but the polls also look eerily similar to uh, what they did when uh, Hillary was running. That's true. But, you know, this time uh, may be different. You know, they say the four worst words in investing is this time it's different. That quote was made famous by Sir John Templeton. But but actually, this time that could be the case. And the reason is the risk of a uh, contested election Uh uh, one of our favorite uh, economists we follow daily in his missives, David Rosenberg, you can go to Rosenberg's website and 
see for yourself and subscribe, uh, basically went through how a contested election would work last week. And it's fascinating because I had no idea it could be that, that convoluted and, uh, and involving two of, of our current amendments uh, and would come into play, et cetera. So, so if you have contested market, uh, you really only by law have to have a president at the latest by January 20th, Inauguration Day. And that's how he, he kind of mapped how this might all play out. Now, there are obviously other ways it could play out, but the point is none of us have been through a contested election uh, like this. And apparently the only time where it really happened was, uh, I think, in 18. 18- 30, John Quincy Adams, or some way, way, way back in another century uh, uh, that was decided. So so we don't think the market's pricing in that volatility. And uh, and again, uh, just to bring up the past, good old Seinfeld, uh, I saw Newman. Uh, Newman, you may remember, is the US, U.S. postal carrier on Seinfeld that had a tendency not to deliver his mail and throw it in his closet. Uh, and, uh, of course, with all the claims that the Postal Service won't be able to process, process mail-in ballots, et cetera, Newman did a two-minute segment that I don't know who paid for it, but it was funny. It was really funny because if you remember Newman, uh, uh, and he did all the normal things he did uh, on a Seinfeld episode. But then in the backdrop, while he was talking at the end, uh, two guys in black suits came up and removed uh, uh, all the postal <laughs> Uh, machines behind them, <laughs> taking them away. So it was pretty funny. Yeah. And so more research from that same American Funds Capital Group uh, report. Uh, basically, what they say is no matter who wins, the markets ha- has typically gone up. When we look at a unified government, uh, the average returns in the S&P, again, going back to 1933, uh, have been about 10%. We look at a unified Congress and a president in a different party. Uh, annualized returns have been about seven and a half percent. And then a split Congress, uh, that's, that's tends to be the best situation and average annualized returns, uh, up on average about 10%, 10 and a half percent. So, uh, to some degree, you know, as, as Joe said, things could be different this time. Uh, if not, you know, the market will march on. Then last but not least, uh, things we're keeping an eye on. Well, as we just mentioned, the Barrington Declaration, I encourage everyone listening to this to go Google that and and read uh, read the report or watch the video or both uh, for your own enjoyment. I think it's very enlightening uh, from so many healthcare professionals signing this petition and saying this is the way it should be done. Uh, you've got that particular issue, and then you got the election, the postal service, mail-in voting. Uh, seems like I'm reading about a scandal every day about somebody committing fraud in this regard, throwing ballots in a river. Uh, that is out there. Uh, you've got new stimulus efforts. One thing, uh, by the way, this is no no formal poll, but I'm and a lot of people I've talked to, they're saying I'm going to go stand in line to vote. That way, I know my vote is real. Uh, so there is a lot of people with all the hoopla over. Uh, potential fraud and mail-in voting, thinking, well, if my vote's not going to count. I'm not going to even waste my time uh, to do a uh, mail-in ballot. You got new stimulus still out there. Uh, what I'm hearing now is that, you know, I think it's pretty much not going to happen prior to the election. Uh, it'll happen right after it, probably, if Trump wins, and it probably won't happen. Who knows? I mean, who could bet on that now? But within 30 days, I doubt it's going to happen. They've had every effort to do it. Uh, second wave of layoffs, you got the airlines issues. The more you don't have, 
a second stimulus, the more likely airlines start furloughing employees. And and that's why there was this whole thing two weeks ago about, well, we'll do a targeted one for airlines. And then everybody said, well, why are they so special? So I think the targeted type things are off. We've got inflation is still benign. Uh, uh, there is a potential of some hyperinflation if you print too much money. That's a lot of talk out there. A lot of investors have a lot of cash. There's still huge cash positions sitting and waiting for market pullbacks. And a lot of people are taking any pullback like the September route and technology to basically buy on the dips. That's still a strategy that seems to be working in this modern monetary theory uh, environment we've been in since 2009. And then you got market breadth. A good thing is you're starting to see others start to move, not just the five megatechs. Dollar weakness against the euro, you basically have, uh, uh, you know, the euro uh, they use and will go for negative rates. We said we won't, uh, but obviously with dollar weakness, you're going to see emerging market equities do better. And as an anecdote, I read uh, in Rosenberg's message this morning, it was interesting. Uh, he focused on Canada, where he's from, and actually all the GDP numbers in Canada are amazingly positive. They had 380,000 jobs created last month, and uh, essentially most all were full-time. And yes, they are having a real estate uh, bubble up, uh, unlike they've even seen. They thought they'd seen it before in Vancouver and, and Toronto, but now it seems to be everywhere as millennials especially leave big cities uh, and they're buying used cars because they can't find any new cars because a lot of the factories have been shut down and they're buying homes. Uh, with a lot of adequate spacing uh, to spread out and work from home. And then lastly, we've got large growth, rotation, small value. I don't think it's small cap and, and value rotation. I think small caps, there is a rotation going on, uh, but I still think there's a lot of gas left in the large cap growth because essentially those five megatechs, the only one trading at an absurd P.E. ratio is Amazon, but then they always kind of jerry-rig their numbers depending on uh, their direction. Uh, but the other four are trading at about 30, 35 times earnings with Fortress balance sheet. So you're not really worried there. I mainly worry about the large growth stocks that are trading at 10 to 15 times sales. And you can name one. We all know it's a verb now, Zoom. Uh, and so you have those. And, and uh, if you have a slowdown or something, a jolt, volatility, uh, those are going to really trade down uh, to the low side. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we had for today. We appreciate you taking a few minutes to join us today and reflect on the markets. Uh, if there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can view our website, wealthqb.com, or shoot us an email at info at wealthqb.com. Thanks a lot, and have a great week, everybody. The information in this podcast is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Gordon Asset Management LLC, its producers, hosts, or guests. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Gordon Asset Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.